resilience network, plucking that idea and bringing it into consciousness. If that's the way our brains work, that tells us very directly things we should and should not do to be creative. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning into Notes of Design and wish you all a very happy new year. To help support our mission spread knowledge, we have a very special guest in today's episode. Let's welcome Susan Weinshank, a chief behavioral scientist and CEO at the Team W. Susan holds a PhD in psychology and consults with Fortune 1000 companies, startups, governments and non-profit and is author of several books including 100 things every designer need to know about people, 100 more things every designer need to know about people and how to get people do stuff. Dr. Susan's area of expertise is brain and behavioral science applied to design of products and services her clients include metronics disney mayo clinic zappos european union discover financial and united healthcare susan is also a co-host of human tech podcast and write her own blog and a column for psychology today online in this episode susan had shared great insights on the brain and creativity we had discussed on how could we train our brains to produce the best creative solutions that can make an impact and what are the different frameworks to rewire our brain for creativity we then spoke on as creatives how could we stay focused on outcome without thinking or stressing too much about the end solution and how does perception play a role in enhancing the brain and how could designers use the same to improve user experience we then concluded the show by few frameworks and resources on behavioral sciences that designers must know to deliver a great user experience hope you enjoyed this episode and on every friday we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design so don't forget to tune in into notes of design every friday with that being said happy designing everyone Hi Susan, thanks for being a wonderful guest at Notes of Design. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So Susan, if you could uh, give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. Well, I've been working in the field of user experience and behavioral design for to say a really long time. <laughs> and uh, I do consulting and teaching and speaking in the field. It's been a um, great interest of mine for for my whole career. I have a PhD in psychology so I've always had the point of view of applying what we know about people to the design of technology. Thank you so much Susan. So what was your journey into behavioral psychology and design and how did you start and what are your tips to the beginners on how to start? Well, you know, my journey goes back quite a bit so I think my tips of how to start now are probably different than than when I got into the field. My journey started actually I was in graduate school for my PhD studying psychology and not anything to do with design or technology, but I ended up taking a a computer programming class and I became really fascinated with okay, wait a minute, we have these, you know, we have machines, we have computers, we have other types of machines. that are sometimes designed uh to be really uh efficient as machines but when humans have to interact with them you know we're not machines and so the things that that allow something to be usable and and you know that term usable actually i'm talking about going so far back that we didn't even talk about usable we didn't talk about usability we didn't talk about user experience um that 
there was some thinking about the interaction of people and machines, but it really hadn't matured. But I became fascinated with this question. How do we design things? How do we design machines, technology, computers, programming languages, so that it fits better for humans rather than than optimizing for the technology. And that was actually pretty new idea back then because um, a long time ago, you had engineers and uh, scientists designing the technology and really just thinking about it from a technology point of view because it was also new. So that got me very interested and I, I started studying that in graduate school. I started combining what do we know about people with how do we design and that just took off from there. And I found out this you, you could do this as a career, you know, that that actually people were doing this for work. I didn't know that at the time. And um, I kind of kind of never looked back, always uh, just just loved that combination. You know, basically, I love new technology and I was fascinated with people. So it was kind of a perfect career for me. And in terms of your question of how do people get into it now? You know, first of all, one thing I think that that is the same is if you need to have a passion for the work. I think a huge majority, almost all the people I meet that are in this field, whatever you want to call it, whether you want to call it user experience or human computer interaction or design, the people that are in it are really passionate about it. They really care about designing things that are usable and delightful. And that's the number one thing. So first of all, just start there. Make sure this is something you're really interested in and you really want to do. And then in terms of breaking into the field, uh, I mean, education really does help. And there are many uh, organizations that prefer to hire People who have, you know, a degree in human computer interaction or something like that. Uh, if you don't have that degree, it doesn't mean you have to go back to school, but it does mean you have to go do the work. And I've I tell people, if you don't have that experience in your portfolio, then go do it on your own. Do it on the side. Take up, just go and redesign a product, you know, prototype a redesign and then be able to tell the story. And even if you didn't do that for pay for a company, if you have enough of those examples that you can say, well, here's an example. You know, I took this product. I decided, you know, I did a, a little bit of research talk to people you know that use it. And then I did a redesign and be able to tell that story. It's really, you, you just have to show that you have some knowledge about the processes that are followed to do this work and that you can tell a story of how you improved a product or designed a new product. Thank you so much, Susan. Uh, let's start our episode today with the brain and creativity. How could we train our brains to produce a best creative solution that can make an impact? I'm a science nerd, you know, I love research. And so um, there's some fascinating research on creativity that I think so directly applies to, to all the work that I do. So first of all, if I could just take a minute to explain what that research tells us, uh, and then I'll, I can talk about what that means and what we should do. So there are three networks in the brain that have to do with creativity. One is called the executive attention network. The other is the imagination network. The third is the salience network. So here's how our brains naturally work, okay? This is just how everybody's brains work. Every day, 
in terms of creativity or solving problems. So the first thing is you you have you set an attention. You have an intention about what you you know. Boy, I'd really like to figure out a better way to work on this project. I'd really like to figure out how to put together a good team to design this app. I'd really like to figure out uh, a way to use my time more efficiently. It doesn't matter what the problem is you're trying to solve or the creative idea you're trying to come up with. The first thing you have to do is set that attention and intention in your executive network. And I'm pointing to my forehead because that is where this work is going on. It's in the it's in the preorbital frontal cortex, right? And in, the, in your forehead. And that's the conscious part of creativity where you say, here's the problem I'd like to solve. Here's the sol- creative solution I'd like to work on. And you give your brain that official intention. Once you do that, your uh, imagination network takes over. Now, I didn't invent these terms. I always think that you know, the imagination network, it sounds like a ride on a Disney or, you know, a Disney World or something, but that's what the people who've worked on this have called it. The imagination network gets to work on that intention, but the interesting thing is it works on it largely unconsciously. So that's one of the keys to creativity. You've got to harness all the knowledge you have that you don't even realize you have. It's unconscious. So The Imagination Network will go to work on that intention. And then that last network, it monitors everything that the Imagination Network is thinking about, decides what are some good ideas. Oh, that's a good idea. And it brings certain ideas up to consciousness because the Salience Network is also working unconsciously. So the Imagination Network, by the way, is running simulations. It's accessing things you already know. And again, as I said, that Salience Network is monitoring that and pulling ideas up. So then that this is why, and we've all had this experience, right? You ha- you're thinking about a problem, you're thinking about some creative idea, and you, you get distracted by something else, you let it go, you go for a walk, you go home, you have dinner. And then at some point, all of a sudden you get this, oh, I know, I could, right, you get an idea. That's the process working. That's your salience network, plucking that idea and bringing it into consciousness. So if that's the way our brains work, that tells us very directly things we should and should not do to be creative. So we must be specific and set that intention consciously. Then the next thing we know is we have to let it go. We have to stop working on it so that our imagination network can take over. We have to go do something else. We have to take time off. We have to give our brains a rest. Sometimes we don't do that, right? Sometimes we just got to solve it. I got to fix it. I got to figure it out. We need to take a break and go do something else and not something that engages our problem solving brain. We need to go take time off. So taking time off is critical to solving problems and coming up with creative solutions. And sometimes I think we don't do that, right? We just work, 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 work. So we need to take time off. The next thing we need to do is we need to pay attention to those ideas that pop into our brain. They're gonna pop into our brain, but we have to notice them. We have to write them down. I always keep with me paper and pen or my phone for recording, always, always. I have in my shower, in my bathroom, I have waterproof paper and a waterproof pencil. Such things exist. 
because I'll get an idea and I'll want to write it down, right? You've got to capture these ideas. Sometimes people say, oh, if it's a good idea, it'll come back. No, it might disappear and you lost it. So these are the things we need to do. We need to set the attention. We need to give ourselves time, our, our brains a break to work on it. We need to pay attention to ideas that we get. And that's, that's how we use uh, creativity to, you know, that's how we use our brains to, to be creative. So I find that just really interesting. And I really try to pay attention to that and to make some changes in my work so that I can really work with my brain. Thank you so much, Susan, for explaining it so beautifully. So what are the different frameworks that we could use to rewire our brain for creativity? You know, I think it's pretty easy, actually. I think I think of it more like the things we need to do to take away the habits we have that block creativity, you know? So uh, I think um, get I think we have to think about our habits, the habits we have in our daily work that actually are working against us, right? Like we do, do you have, you know, especially these days I find with people doing remote work and they have, you know, you look at your, your meeting schedule, you just have meeting, 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 you know, you get, sometimes you don't get five minutes to take a break and, you know, go to the restroom and get a glass of water, you know, that is not conducive to creativity because there's no rest for your conscious brain. There's no opportunity for your imagination network. So I think we have to look at our habits and change our work habits and build into our work structure, build in breaks. If there's one thing I would say people should do, if they wanna be more creative, if they wanna come up with better solutions, you need mental work breaks. Thank you, Susan. So as creators, how could we stay focused on the outcome without thinking or stressing too much about the end solution? Yeah, I think that the best way to do that is it, there's two things that are really important. One is to set that intention really clearly, to really pay attention to how you are wording, you know, to write it down, to, to write down on a piece of paper or type in, uh, you know, to your, your to list, to write down um I want to figure out the best way to design that, right? To just be really specific and write it down. That's one thing that, that I think is, is, can, can be really useful. And then the other part of it that I think is important is process. You know, we have design thinking or user-centered design or all, there's all these design processes. And, and I think sometimes we think, oh, we're supposed to follow this process. I don't know why, but we're supposed to. The process saves us from ourselves. The process means we won't fall into bad habits. It means we won't fall into, you know, cognitive biases that, that humans have. So, you know, if, if your process says at this point, you should have meetings and can and diverge and write how we how might we statements or whatever your process says follow the process you know it it is there to help you do your best work um and and don't don't second guess it just follow the steps in the process that's what process is all about uh, so so then what's the role of perception in enhancing the brain and how designers can use the same to improve the user experience 
I think that um, I talked about the fact that the Imagination Network was go using what you already know, you know, what what's in there in the brain uh, unconsciously running simulations and tapping into your knowledge. So that means the better knowledge you have, the better your solutions are going to be. And so that means you need to feed, <laughs> kind of feed your brain ideas. You need to feed your brain knowledge. So not around a particular thing you're trying to solve, but just in general, the more you know about design, the more you know about psychology, the better uh, creative ideas that Imagination Network will come up with. So feeding your brain, taking courses, reading things, and, and you talked about perception, looking at other designs. Just is like, what are other people doing? Some of them of what other people are doing might be really bad. And, and you, you look at that and you go, well, I'm not going to design that way. That's fine. You're still feeding your brain ideas. And I think that's important. You need to be curious. You need to be looking. You need to be listening. One of the, you know, just, just last week, I, I traveled to Austria to give a, a workshop and, and a keynote at a conference. And I was reminded how important conferences are. You know, I haven't been to a conference in person in years because of the pandemic. And I, it was like, oh yeah, that's right. Just being at this conference, just going in and listening to a talk that I didn't even know if I would find interesting. And it was fascinating, right? And I learned something new, right? Just putting yourself in environments where you can learn something new is really critical to creativity. Thank you, Susan. So what do designers have to know about behavioral science to deliver a great user experience? And are there any framework or resources that you can share with us? Yeah, I, you know, obviously I'm, I'm biased here. I think a knowledge of uh, psychology and behavioral economics is really useful. So I would say, see what you learn as much as you can about what we know about humans. And there's, um, you know, everyone should go get a PhD in psychology. Well, okay, maybe that's not feasible, but but really, as much as you can learn, there are there are some great books out there. There's, you know, uh, with my company, the Team W, we have some free courses. We have some paid courses, too, but we have some free online courses that you can take. Um, there's lots of things that you can read. I would encourage people to really try and focus on the science because there is an enormous amount of knowledge that has been validated. And then there's a lot of stuff out there that is just people's opinion or, you know, urban legend or myth. And you got to watch out for that. So I would, I would really pay attention to the quality of the resources and make sure it really is based on science. But, you know, we've been studying human behavior, actually not that long. It goes back to probably the mid 1900s, but still, right. There's 70 years of research on human behavior um, that is valid. Uh, so there's lots of lots of stuff out there. So just dig in and start learning what you can. And I would say to, I like to separate it into um, different areas. So I think it's really useful to study what we know about human perception. So how do our eyes work? Uh, how do we see color? 
what grabs attention. There's some wonderful research on, you know, central vision versus peripheral vision and, and parts of our brain that pay attention to faces. You know, there's just wonderful research on vision that is so often relevant if you're designing anything that's going to be used visually. So I would, I would focus on what do we know about human vision? I would focus on the wonderful, fascinating research on human decision-making because so much of what we do is how do we help people make decisions or how do we encourage them to make this decision versus that decision? So to really focus on uh, human decision-making, that would be two. And then the third area that I think um, is really useful is focusing on human motivation. What do we know about what motivates people to to take action and to do one thing over another. So those three areas, vision, you know, thinking and decisions, and then motivation, you know, concentrate there, like just start with one, learn a few things and then say, okay, that was good. I learned some things about vision. Now I'm going to go learn some things about decision-making, you know, oh, that was it. Yeah. And just, just keep digging into those three areas um, there. Everything you learn will be relevant to design. Thank you so much, Susan, for sharing all these wonderful insights with us. So we wanted to know, like, how does your day look like or any interesting stories? What a typical day is for me, you mean? Oh, boy. A typical day. You know, I spend a lot of time uh, online in meetings. I have to say that. I'm not a super early morning person, so I usually have to give myself plenty of time to really wake up, right? So I'll get up in the morning and I'm just kind of slow. I get my coffee, I get some breakfast. Uh, you know, I, I check the news. Uh, I do things around the house, yeah. And then it's like, okay, I'm starting to really wake up. And so then I'll get to work. The work I do really varies a lot. I might be working on a presentation that's coming up. Uh, I have client, I, I do work, consulting work for clients. I might get on meetings with them. I do a lot of talking, <laughs> maybe too much talking. Um, I actually have on my monitor here a little note that says, be quiet, because um, uh, my business partner, who's also my son, says, you talk too much. You need to just listen more. So I have a little note to remind myself, don't always be talking so much. I, I do a lot. A lot of the work I do is mentoring teams and mentoring designers. And I really, really enjoy that. It's kind of like coaching and, and helping people be uh, the best designer they can be. I I have I do build in breaks during my day. I I go I get exercise every day. Uh, I usually you know I like to go for walks. That's a real main form of exercise. I'll take other breaks during the day. I'll I meditate. I'll take a break and I'll, I'll meditate. And then you know in in the late afternoon and evenings when I've stopped work, I spend time with my husband. Uh, cook some dinner. I am a mu musician, I am a composer. And so I'm usually um, every day I'm doing a little bit of, uh, I'm taking some online courses in music theory. So I'll work on that or I'll work on composing uh, a song. Um, so I try and build into my day every day um, some of that musical time because that's, you know, kind of the, the, the non-work creative me, yeah, and then I probably stay up too late uh, binge watching my favorite reality TV shows. 
That's wonderful, Susan. Thank you so much. So we'll conclude this show by you recommending three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in this space. Oh, yeah. So hard, isn't it? There's so so many wonderful books. And I think it kind of... Uh, all right. So my three favorite books. I really like the book um, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, which is kind of a combination of psychology and behavioral economics. I think that's a that's a wonderful book. It's not necessarily an easy to read book, but it's a it's a really, really good book. Um, I really love a book by Timothy Wilson called Redirect, which is all about how self stories drive our behavior. Uh, fascinating book, uh, a fairly, you know, not a difficult read. So I, I highly recommend that book. And then, you know, a third one, what would I pick for a third one? I'm going to have to pick something, uh, just, you know, very uh, kind of basic. Uh, one of the, uh, probably a book that, that many of, of the listeners have already read, but Steve's crew, Steve Krug's book, Don't Make Me Think. Uh, which is, you know, just a wonderful kind of summary of of human behavior and thought process as, you know, when people interact with with design. So those would be the three books. And in terms of people who have influenced me the most, there are so many people that have influenced me over the years. I would say I don't and you may or may not know some of these people. I, I mean, Steve Krug is one of them. Caroline Jarrett. I don't know if you know Caroline. She works out of the UK and is just a, a wonderful character and has done some amazing uh, work on, on, of all things, the design of forms and and the design of surveys. Uh, but she's just a, a, an, an inspiration in many ways. Uh, who else has inspired me? Um, Timothy Wilson that I mentioned. There's a woman named um, Sheena. Iyengar, who has done a lot of research on decision-making and choice. And I think she's, um, her work has really been an inspiration to me as well. And, you know, there are so many people who, I don't know, they're not necessarily uh, famous or well-known and maybe they haven't written books, but they're just out there um, doing the work, right? Doing the design work. Um, I'll put in uh, one more plug for a person that I, I, I'm working with now currently uh, on some consulting and has really inspired me. And that's and that's Dean Barker, who uh, who is just a, a mountain of knowledge about the practicality of really doing this work in you know large corporate environments, which can be so challenging and. He has so much knowledge and understanding of, of how to navigate that that world, which I kind of really don't have, you know, I've I don't work in a large, I work with large corporations. Uh, I work for large corporations, but I don't really work inside, you know, and so understanding how to navigate that so that design um, and and human factors. Um, you know, it is has an has an impact in the organization. I, that's so important, and and I love his knowledge and work on that. So those would be some of the people that that have inspired me. But I have to say, I'm just, you know, I'm inspired by everyone who's doing this work, no matter where they are or how small a piece that they're working on it. it you know, it's it takes 
attention. You know, there's not any one thing that any of us do that then changes the whole world of it. It changes because of the thousands of people who are in there working every day, prototyping that screen over there, doing research with, with that user group over there. And it's the it's it's all you know. I it's like the millions of small changes that we make that have a huge impact. And and at, you know it's a cumulative. It's a, the better and better the designs get, that raises the bar for the next set of designs and the next set and the next set. And if you look at that history of design over the last 20, 30 years, you can see it, right? And it's not just because the technology got better. It's because designers got more involved and get better. And so I, I'm inspired by just people doing their design work and, and, and working every day to just keep raising the bar on the quality of our design. Thank you so much, Susan, for sharing all these wonderful recommendations with us. We are looking forward to host you again in our future episodes. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. 